Good people of the internet, at homes, on your phones, wherever you may be, if you're still listening to this on your iPod, I don't know if they do iPods anymore, I know I've got my old school iPod because it was the only thing that I had enough memory to store all my albums on, this is the Monthly Molahead Podcast, a name that we're not exactly married to, but I guess we're going to have to call it that, because we have to call it something to upload this so you can hear it. The premise of the show is this, me and Matt, the other host Hensman, will be going through the Motorhead discography, album by album, track by track, talking about them, discussing them, maybe coming up with some facts, maybe coming up with some opinions we've not considered, and we want you, the listener, to get involved as well. If, if you hear something you don't agree with, if you've got an opinion you don't think's been covered, email in, uh, tophatsandcanes at outlook.com is the email we're going to use for all your concerns there. Top Hats and Canes is the website upon which this and many of the Vine podcasts are hosts, so do check them out as well. But this show is just going to be motorhead based. This first show is, well, I think the format we're going to stick with. Again, if you have any other ideas on how to do this shit, let me know. But format aside, the, the show is just two motorhead fans discussing motorhead because I don't think there are any other motorhead podcasts out there. So, first album, on with the show, Motorhead, with the debut album... Motorheads, rock and roll. So Motorhead, the first album. The I think we should talk about the album cover first. What not the first point? album. <laughs> Don't start. Don't start with me, man. What are, uh, the Motorhead symbol? The the warping snaggletooth. Whatever. Just... It's it's iconic, but. What was it? It was supposed to have a swastika on it at some point. It, that one of the earlier designs did have a swastika on it because you know it's meant to be like a biker kind of feel to it, and it does look very bikery. But it is. Say so going, obviously seventy-seven. Like it was not saying fashionable to wear swastikas, but it was shocking. Yeah, they, so, that's where counterculture like pretty much started, isn't it? Yeah, like, trying to piss people off and exactly themselves. And a lot of the punks were doing it. Do it. A lot of the punks were doing it to get a reaction, and like initially it it does. There's the Sex Pistols wearing it on various recordings at the BBC and everything, but it's very much of its time. And if that had been on that logo, I don't think we would be looking at that logo there, there today are so and many, associating it that much when, with this band. Yeah, there are so many missed fucking like could have been because if they were called bastards straight out of the gates yes wouldn't have heard of them. if they had a fucking logo with a swatch sticker on the front of them shit exactly they're not yes. about censorship don't tell them they are because he'll fucking kick off yes he'll be very annoyed <laughs> he'll take he'll pick up his dinosaurs and he'll leave the room which is my favourite Ray Bradbury quote the iron cross is there it's, yeah, it's tiny it's, um, it's been around a long time though. like that's the, the Iron Cross isn't a Nazi thing, it's a German war thing. Yeah, I know the swastika is not nice. You know, you can trace all sorts of iconography back to their, their roots. And, you know, it, a lot of it, groups have just taken the symbols and they've forever been associated yeah, with them. They've, um, they've fucked it up, basically. They've yeah, they've it fucked it up for the rest of us. Again, not condoning up, any... they ruined sign of peace and tranquility that yeah. was the swastika. Again, we don't condone cuts. any of these groups... <laughs> We're just sort of saying this is what happens. And I'm also saying you're a dickhead if you think Motorhead supports Nazism because there's an iron cross on the fucking war pig, snaggletooth, bastard bear, whatever they want to call it. It's half bear, half dog, and half warthog, something like that. Something like that. And all biker badass. I thought it was a helmet. 
on it first off. Is it a helmet? I don't think so. I, think it's I thought it was it the pig with a... Or I always saw it as a pig with the helmet. And it's a fucking badass album cover box. anyway. Makes for a great patch jacket. You always used to look forward to how they change it between releases. Yeah, yeah. They kept the same artist. Today. Yeah, they have the same album cover 30 times, pretty much. But they yeah, all look lost. I've the same cover 30 times. I'm not a fan of my main covers. That's right, I said it. I said it. And they tried to, like... What they did has not been copied by anyone else successfully. Like, uh, what's the, Meta- Me- the the Megadeth Rattlehead Rick? Oh, Vic Rattlehead. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, I was never a fan of that. Anthrax's guy. Mm. Oh, the Anthrax man's weird. Disturbed. He looks like the Pringles man. <laughs> but I wouldn't really class them as a proper metal band anyway. Um, so this was released on is it Chiswick Records? <laughs> Chiswick Records. Yeah, Chiswick. Yeah. Big beats. Tally Pip. Tipo. Uh, <laughs> they had a lot of trouble with their record companies, didn't they? Mm. Uh, I mean, they only released this album before they got signed to... Was it? Oh, I've forgotten who they got signed to after. But the only album on this label. And yeah, a lot of them. Was like, they, the, that's, they took them so long to get to making their own... Just being their own label. It's a shame. I mean, it did. the album did well enough for them to make another album. And then the album did really well. <laughs> It's basically not that bad when you consider it. You know? <laughs> that is the epitome of just enough <laughs> for the passing craze. Nothing wrong with scraping by, man. No. This is That's what I've been doing for 30 plus years. <laughs> this is the C grade. <laughs> what is your earliest motorhead memory? I want to say, like, the young ones. Really? I think, yeah. You're too old to have watched the young ones when that was on. Well, no, but, like, seeing it... Too young to watch the young ones when it was on TV. Seeing it when it was on, and seeing them on there, for some reason... Obviously, like, Ace of Spades has been around for all of our lives yeah. <laughs> up until that point, but I seem to remember... We're, we're, like, we're in our 30s, like, so we weren't at the point where that song was used in adverts all the time, so that's something yeah. that happened later on. But, yeah, seeing the band was probably, like, on... Seeing it on the young ones... Obviously, being like fans of Bottom and growing up in the nineties when that was on, um, in terms of seeing them, that would came like like ten years afterwards. So you knew about them for all of your child and teen <laughs> years before we actually went to see them. Because I think at my first show was two thousand four. Obviously, we knew about the band. Mine over was ten years. Hammered, I guess. Yeah, hammered. So that was what, whatever year that was, two thousand two. Yeah, that sounds right. Yeah, a young wife of a thing. Best gig I've ever been to. <laughs> Up there with all time best gigs, totally. That was that with Anthrax as well. That might have been with Anthrax or was that someone else I'm thinking of. And that was Anthrax and the John Bosch years. God, they were good times. The O four one I went to was, it was in, what was it called? I think it was called the octagon in sheffield and it was an octagon wow. <laughs> it was boss wherever you stood you were close to the that's, stage that's a good why on all venues octagon size and they were supported by sepultura with Derek green whose popularity has been in decline ever since, <laughs> ever since max left so the first album We've already come to a disagreement over. We're going by what the internet says, by Wikipedia says, and by what the book, the the reference book we use in Mothead in the studio says. And they all say the first album, unsurprisingly, is Motorhead. 
I don't consider it the first what album. What are you? What are you talking about? How can I overkill not be? the first album? But it's not though. They made this first. For people who are going to jump down our throats and stuff about the technicalities of this, yes, we are aware that the worst there was stuff recorded as Motorhead before this, but we're going by what was released in the order it was released. Okay, okay. Now, and I, 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 let's preempt this as well by saying I'm not claiming to be a Motorhead expert. I'm not even claiming to be like a super fan. I'm just a guy who is a great big fan. You know, don't crucify me on the internet cross for not getting all the dates right and all this shit, man. We haven't been through the history and like researched and studied this for like years. We've just been fans. <laughs> yeah, this, that that sucks all the fun out of it when you're gonna have this like fucking mastermind level knowledge of all the crap, man. It's rock and roll. It should yeah. be felt. No, there's no room for facts in rock and roll. And this is why this isn't the first album. <laughs> the only the only thing that goes against me in the belief that this isn't the first album is a direct quote from Lemmy saying it's the first album. <laughs> But still, the Bronze Age begins with Overkill. So let's. So set, that's the first album. Let's set the scene. This it's, is like the prototype. This is like this is like Motorhead beater. <laughs> yeah, early days Motorhead. Let me fresh out of Hawkwind for doing the wrong kind of drugs. It's, uh, he wants to start his own band. He wants to start his own band called Bastards, which is going to be faster and angrier. At which point, the what someone within one of the labels says like. Bit of a dumb idea that mates. You're not gonna get on TV with a name like Bastards. To which he responds, "Yeah, fair point. Let's just call it Motorhead." And in 1977, that's what he does. The first album, first album. This is, this is Motorhead. Th- most of these songs are Hawkwind songs as well. They're either Hawkwind songs, songs or covers. <laughs> three songs on the album are Motorhead songs. And how many are covers? Uh, well, it depends. Like, we're not gonna technically class the stuff from Beer Drinkers and Hellraisers as being on this album. That's fair. The, that's fair. Stuff point. that they recorded in this session is the things you will find on the EP Beer Drinkers and Hellraisers, which has got that song and has got Train Keeper Rolling, or is that on the actual album? I think that's no, Train Keeper Rolling's on the actual album. Let's just go by track by track, so we don't. I don't get more confused than I already am. Motorhead, the track Motorhead, a That's Hawkwind, Hawkwind song, <laughs> yes, the original Hawkwind version which you can find online, much much slower, um, spacier because it's Hawkwind, <laughs> but as the Motorhead song, great fucking song, what what can you, what have you got to say against this song, can you think of another song that uses the word parallelogram so perfectively, no you cannot, no you okay. cannot, Sunrise and wrong side of another day, sky high, 6,000 miles away. Don't know how long I've been awake, wound up in an amazing state. You can tell Boom. a lot of these songs, well, especially these songs from what we've read of the recording of this album and the writing process on this album. You can tell speed. that, yes, a lot more thought has gone into this song than some of the others <laughs> on the album. Yeah. Uh, it's such a great song on its own right, Motorhead, 
people call me Motorhead, that's right. Got the catchiness, it's got the, the Lemmy vibe of the songwriting and stuff, just, you know, scribbling down what's coming to him, changing bits later as they rhyme. Fantastic song. It's that signature sound through the bass and <laughs> through the Marshall rig. One of the two songs in the album that's just uh, got a Lemmy credit as songwriter, 3 minutes 13. It's got the vibe to it that's of that MC5 thing, which is what Lemmy's quote is a lot of saying has inspired him to start Motorhead. MC5 are a boss, but it has got that... Um, it's the bass through the Marshall rig, and it is one of the definitive early Bronze Age songs, mm. but it's a bit more poppy than the stuff that comes afterwards. It's not quite found its its niche there. The guitars are still a bit sort of jangly, I'm not saying like it's jangly indie type jangly, but it's still sort of there. The, the guitars aren't as punchy on this as they are as you get to overkill and the rest of yeah, the Bronze Age. Yeah. It's definitely got the feel of it there and you can tell the attitude and the spirit's in the right place. This is uh, Mo- Motorhead and Punk. This is where where that like all comes together with this first album because this is probably the most punk soundy album or most punk inspired album. Definitely, um, it's seventy seven, isn't it? Yeah. So this is as God Save the Queen has gone to number one during the Super Jubilee. Like the buzzcocks are coming out and you starting to get the the pistols touring up and down the country. I'm not saying like they were well, obviously you weren't influenced by them because been going alongside yeah but you can you can see there's a definite punk influence especially on the first song with that it's a bit more upbeat as in sort of tempo and overall yeah, but feel it's, but it's there's like, a lot more punky songs it's like detroit than... punk though isn't it yeah. it's like the motor city rum 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 like and a biker rock i guess how many other biker rock bands are there yeah zz top maybe <laughs> It's a, it's a very small genre, you know, Steppenwolf song. People that sing songs about bikes, but like, if you said Motorhead, Biker Rock, you couldn't really argue that as well. No. Did you? It's just the sound of that, you know. They've got Iron Horse bikes. there as well, coming later. Because they, they allude to it so much as well, I yeah. guess. But yeah, the, like the way the band like presented themselves as well, like it is what all these Sons of Anarchy fans dress as now. Which annoys me because you see all them and you're like, oh, it's a black label or a motorhead fan. It's like, oh, just like that, that show. It's just <laughs> that guy that likes that shitty show. Hamlet on bikes, bollocks! It's Hamlet on bikes, bollocks! It's Hamlet on bikes. <laughs> That's a rant for another podcast. Uh, what's next? Next is vibrator. <laughs> vibrator Larry Wales Des Brown so this was written by the original Motorhead guitarist who was only on the on parole recordings but Fast Eddie did overdub 
his guitar on it. So Pink Fairy's guitarist, psychedelic rock guy, was originally meant to be a motorhead, but got got arrested for a domestic, I think, or a drunken, a drunken disorderly. I I don't really know about much about that first guitarist at all. I say I considered Overkill to be the first album, so mm, this technically okay. doesn't exist. <laughs> this thing we're talking about doesn't <laughs> exist. Vibrator though is the song. It's fine. It's one of those things that's appealed to me more when I was a kid because it's like uh, it's a song about a dildo. But as I listen to it now, it, it, there's there's not much in gusto to it. There's it not could... much vibrator. It should have been, but it's not. It's vibrator. It's like if the Ramones were doing it, it would work. But it, was, it all seems to be a bit almost immature for yeah. other punk <laughs> fans that were going at the time. But you could. With different lyrics, you could definitely see it on like a Buzzcock track or, or or something like that. It's not a bad song by any stretch of the imagination, but it's not a Motorhead song, no, and it's not even it's written really not. by any of the Motorhead members. You're never alone when I'm around. You can always rely on me. I'm your friend. My love won't bend. Straight and true, and all for you. Oh no, I'm your friend. My love won't bend, and that I can guarantee. It almost sounds like a Kiss song, because yeah. it? it's just a song about a cock. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> Lemmy's, Lemmy's vocals just aren't... It's, it, doesn't he hasn't like fa- it, it doesn't at all. He's he's almost got the Jello Biafra mm. clown prince warbling thing going on <laughs> on this song. Which again is great for DKs and... Yeah, yeah. For everyone else but Motorhead. But yeah. Nah, not, not for me. Let's just go on to the next one, because I don't like that song. Lost Johnny, which is again another one I'm not a big fan of. Another Hawkwind song, isn't it? Yeah, Lost Johnny's a Hawkwind I'm not a massive fan of the slower Motorhead songs, and this is really slow mm. and lumbering. There's probably only one song that's slower on the album. What are the what are the lyrical themes through that? You only get a single chance. The rules are very plain. The truth is well concealed inside the details of the game. You can hear it coming. You can see it from the air, and it's pale and it glimmers like a, f- a faded movie star. Is this is this one of those songs that Lemmy's? written where the lyrics are absolute nonsense. I don't think he's even written this one, you know? Yeah. Uh, Lost, Lost Johnny. Oh, yeah. Kill Mr. and one of the other guys from The Wind. <laughs> the Wind? <laughs> <laughs> Trying to make them sound cooler than they are. Can you find me volume? Can you bring them soon? Lost Johnny's out here bailing at the moon. It's got a good, like, slow groove to it. When I think about it, it it's... It's of the era of the slow groove stuff, but that's just not what you want to hear because I'd say like something like White Line Fever is the best slow groove one. 
Yeah, all Iron Iron Horse is on like straight after this. Yeah, let's move to Iron Horse because like... Iron Horse is a good song. songs like that on the road about the same tempo and about the same sort of drum beat and everything and <laughs> lost johnny is it's just it's a, a, a moot point on this album it's just it's it might as well not even be there well when they were recording this album they went to like a converted farm somewhere in kent and spent four days and i think they just did that much speed that they started writing stuff when they were coming down i suppose they should have done it when they were coming up you know write it when you're going down record it when you're going up it didn't work Iron Horse is a good song. It's, it's a oh, driving I, song. Yeah, definitely. I thought you were still on about Lost Johnny. <laughs> no, we're past Lost Johnny now because I'm just not interested in that <laughs> song. <laughs> we're skimming over a lot of songs on this album. It's just, but it's just because they're not like you know Mount Rushmore of Motorhead songs, are they? They're yeah, not this... like the the essentials. You don't need to have the v- v- vibrator on your Motorhead playlist. Now this is more like Motorhawk or Headwind. Or... <laughs> Headwind. <laughs> Uh, he's living his life. He's living it fast. Don't try to to hide when the die have been cast. That's fucking lemmy shit right there. Man. Yeah, it's it's an iconic song. It's mm. you know it, it was on a million tour jackets and and t-shirts and everything. It's it's the philosophy of the band. Born to lose. There's nowhere lemmy credit on that. Phil Taylor. Is it? Yeah. Imagine that. Because you'd think, oh, that sounds exactly like a song lemmy would write. Yeah, because they've always been the underdog. Those and the brothers. Yeah, they've never. Years, yeah. Or in my opinion, they've never been the biggest band on the planet and everything. They've been a proper, solid, consistent, just every album is like of a certain standard. Not a not a worse than that standard. They're all good in their own way. They're ones that are better than others, but they've always had a high average standard of albums. And like Born to Lose, it just sums them up, really, I mm. think. it's They're a band that were due to give up, weren't they? Yeah, before they recorded this album, they did their last ever gig as their farewell gig because Phil and Eddie didn't want to do it anymore. And at the the show they did, uh, someone important enough saw them and said, I want to do do an EP. But instead of doing just two songs, they did a bunch of speed, surprise, surprise, and recorded 11 backing tracks so they could show them, like, if you give us a bit more money, this is what you'll get. Wasn't it saying they recorded 11 backing tracks? And then force the guy in the studio to come. So there was no it's a, guitar it's a, overdubs or vocals, so he'd have to give them more it's a, time. It's a finish. genius idea. It's ballsy and genius because he's stuck with backing tracks. He spent money on the only way to get any money out of it 
in return is to spend more money on it now so it's something you can use it's a nice way of holding those recordings hostage yeah it is <laughs> if anyone else did i would have called them a dickhead but you know at this point they probably inject around by recording agents and stuff a lot by like the, the, the first label that they did on parole for that didn't do anything with so they were thinking smart about it there's an interesting vocal on this album as well because it's not you can hear the raspiness in in his voice but it's almost vibrato it's, well, it's probably not the right word but it almost sounds like he's almost singing it because the water you can hear like the bubbles coming out this is the it's thing of, of, of lemmy uh, lemmy vocals because the over time they get sore <laughs> you know you can you can really track the progression of how you know grinding they sound yeah. you get towards the end there like you don't really hear it as much as apart from like the quieter songs later on down the line it's the cigarettes and the whiskey yeah, the, are taking and their effects he said it in his, his autobiography like even like his voice was raspy at this point because when they were practicing in the rock and vickers like they didn't have a vocal amp so he just had to shout to be heard over the guitars and the drums and shit so that's just how that happened but i take it that the drugs and the, the drink didn't drugs help. and drinks probably don't help on the ciggies do you think like uh, Iron Horses is that like he thought? Well, we need to write a song that's going to be appealing to people who listen to us, or did he just write it and then the people who it was appealing to found it first? It's an interesting one. It does. It reminds me of like those like fifties type movies, like that no one's ever like actually watched, but <laughs> knows. <laughs> I mean, you know, yeah, like like, the movies like Rebel Without Cause back and in the day, yeah, yeah, all these James Dean films. What's the? I can't even remember it. We want to get loads. We want to get high. We want to get loads. Uh, probably just watch one of those movies and just wrote about that character. Yeah. But then everyone else is riding bikes around. It's probably like, oh yeah, this is me. This is my song, which is fair play. You know, it's like it's that whole Ramones thing of like, are they the guys in the leather jackets, or did they become the guys in the leather jackets to sell those songs? It's definitely got. Does it ruin it for anybody? I don't think it does I either way. Does. Mm. I mean, songs like this would define the bands going forward. Because I mean, this off of the off of the track so far, it's to my knowledge anyway, it's one of the only ones that was still plays right up until the later years. I'm sure I've heard this. It, a chosen past 2000. I obviously have. I can't think of an example of. But next track, White Line Fever. This uh, <laughs> That's definitely been played. And I was thinking, like, that is, like, the perfect Motorhead Live song. White Line Fever comes on. It's like, oh, thank God. I've been in this mosh pit for five songs. I need to slow down for a bit. You know, it's it's because it's got like a good sugar chunk power to it, but at the same time, you don't need to mosh to White Line Fever. You can just enjoy that song for what it is, even though it's about cocaine. Even though it's about <laughs> cocaine, yeah, yeah. But and it's the, it's the come down, the slower song. <laughs> yeah, it there's there's not a lot of uh, snort snort speed speed to it. It's a great song, White Line Fever. It probably hasn't found its way into many of my playlists, but it is a good song that you I look forward to when I do like a whole album listen.
not a very long song either. It's it's just uh, two two verses and uh, White Life Either Yeah. It's a, re- it's a very peculiar structured song. You know, there's much stuff on this album it's not like verse chorus verse this like white life fever is just like verse verse outro it's all it's almost like the i'm not saying they wrote it whereas it's like yeah that'll do <laughs> again in your in the studio book says the the producer's approach to this was like let them be them you don't capture rock and roll by barking orders like no 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 do the do less snare no no give me more bass he said he just let them play the thing and then he played it back for them and if they wanted to do it again they did it again which apparently they only did like two or three times yeah from the from the recording process and the way like how quick it was you expect some songs to especially the ones which haven't been recorded previously in the hawkwind or covers Mm -hmm. you expect them to be a bit sort of choppy and round the edges this is one of the ones that is like that but works. Yeah, and this is one of the ones they would wrote in the studio as well. So this was written like it within the forty eight hours yeah. and recorded. So bar, this... bar vocals and guitar overdubs. <laughs> but yeah, that that definitely shows, but you managed to capture that in the studio. You don't need to go back and do it again. It just works. This might have been one of the first things they wrote as a band together. You know, fucking Eddie Clark at some point starts saying, like, all I want more to do on this, you know, I want to sing on this song and I you know I wanna I want to write this song. And, you know, all we've got ready now in terms of records is that it's Lemmy's autobiography where he says, like, yeah, that's fine. I don't mind. <laughs> oh, obviously, my voice fucking hurts, so if you want to sing one, sing one. But, you know, that that's the kind of thing that can tear a band apart, isn't it? The songwriting credits on yeah. itself. You know, splitting the credits. People yeah. people want the credit because that's where the money comes from. Did they not know that was where the credit came from? Or, like, they must have known because Lemmy's been in bands that have made money at this point. Mm. I... I I, I don't really know what the... Um, I must have heard or seen this somewhere. Maybe someone can email in and tell us this or what, what Lemmy's approach to songwriting royalties was. I've not... Well, I'd like to assume he was a cool guy that said, like, you know, split it three ways. If anyone knows, let no us know. I have no idea where that's even, even written, but he's the only one who's on... Actually, he's not even on everything. On this. No, no. That's an interesting one. Have we missed a song out? No, we're still going. Keepers on the Road is next. one written by the band in the the four days they were recording in the farm and Ken doing lots of speed <laughs> see I I quite like this but the the thing about this song it's almost 
it's almost like it was written and then he's decided that it was okay at the time. But go and listen to this and then listen to Overkill. There is the outro. There is stuff which is just lifters and just drops in shamelessly almost. They do the outro solo on this, which is exactly like Overkill, and then they do it later in the song again. <laughs> it just, it just is. Yeah, it's like Overkill. It's one of those songs that just doesn't end. I I love Overkill. I do, but I also have memories of like seeing my head getting the the shit thrashed out of me, banging my head. And then like this is the last song of the set. You've got to run to catch the last bus out of fucking Manchester. And then they keep doing it over and over again. You're just like, oh, no, I want, it. I want this to be over. I need to get home. I know people who leave during Overkill. Oh, no. Because that's sick no, of it. No, no. <laughs> I wouldn't do that. I, love, I think it's a fantastic song. Like, out of the, out of the Bronze Age records, it's my favourite song of those albums. I think it's fantastic. Mm, it's a great album. The bass line's fantastic. It's... That's the first song that's got the real signature bass sound. Once it's all been refined, you can hear a lot of elements on this. Of it. Yeah, but this when is a it lot of testing ground stuff. You know that is when they found that sound. The the main problem with Keepers on the Road is that it's not We Are the Road Crew. It's not. It's not. <laughs> it's a song about. <laughs> it's a song about touring and bands on the road, but it's not We Are The Road Crew, which is a fucking great song yes. about being on the road. Again, most of the songs on this are great songs, but they are made better in later albums, or they are almost like rebooted better yeah. on later yeah. albums. <laughs> yes, they are. Because there's a lot of like seriousness stuff in here, and it's not as good as the serious stuff that comes, and it's... None of the humour stuff that comes, or, you know, the the light-hearted stuff. The right way of saying that is... What did you say? If they were messing around in the studio, what was the, what were you telling me earlier? Was it Heart of Stone? Oh, yeah. Uh, the song Heart of Stone, when they were recording, is Let Me Go to the Pub, which is just a better version of Heart of Stone. Yeah, if you're recording it in two days, you haven't got, you haven't got time for that. The next song is uh, The Watcher, which is uh, another fucking Hawkwinder. Hawkwind as well, so we're up to it's three Hawkwind songs. Three Hawkwind yeah. songs. We haven't had a cover yet, have we? No, Trinky Brawlins, the, the only cover that means Technically, I call Vibrator a cover. It's written by I mean, people who aren't even in the bands. Yeah, it's, it's another punk song. Like the, the, Motorhead will always be We Are Motorhead, we play rock and roll, mm-hmm. but 
they were latched onto by all the punks at the time as well, and still are, really. Like you see people with Dead Kennedys patches and everything with motorhead ones next to them. Like they they transcend between punk and rock and metal. Like they're a band everyone seems to like for whatever reason. And like I don't know if it's songs like this where it has got a punk influence, and that's why some of the punkier crowd latched on the early days. It's not a bad song, but again, it it doesn't sound like the refined Motorhead sounds we get on Overkill and the rest of the it's albums like, that come after. Yeah, I've listened to this album twice today in preparation for this, and I still can't fucking think of what that song sounds like. I I couldn't hum it's it. Yeah, I've made notes it's about. Very, it's I'm <laughs> looking at the lyrics, and like I must have heard this song a hundred times in my life anyway, but. I mean, it's got that um, it's got that vocal that makes it sound really. Like bubbly, <laughs> like the I know one, yeah. yeah, but he he sounds a lot like Ozzy at this time as well. So, what Sabbath would have released her first album seventy seven. This was recorded like September. So I, I'm not saying there's like a deliberate. The sound of the time and people yeah. were just dicking around with all the uh, equipment. It's like on the vocal, but nothing else. <laughs> but this this is when the um, the uh, book Motorhead in the studio available now. Where are the books are sold? Probably I don't know. Makes a good point of saying the the studio mixing desk at this point was just another instrument, because there were no presets or any shit like that. You had to like do all those levers and knobs for each song the way you wanted them. Then remember how they were all set, and if you wanted to do it a different way for a different song, so that that's why there were nineteen different mix downs of this whole album, like because they tried it so many different ways. You know, some bands will credit like the the mixing guy as part of the band. Yeah, definitely. Like I think Rollins' band do like their sound tech on tour as part of their band, just because Rollins is just a great fucking guy. People like engineers I've worked with, they some of them are miracle workers. They're fantastic. But, you know, I mean, obviously different in in these days recording analog straight to safe, but engineers deserve all the credit. Don't treat them like shit. <laughs> yeah. Speaking for the uh, the engineers union, uh, almost at the end of the album. Train keeper rolling. Of this song, man. This feels like a motorhead song, even though it's gone. Because it's that 50s Chuck Berry rock and roll baby baby stuff that Lemmy grew up in and what he really liked and what he enjoyed playing. Stuff that I always like hearing, but I could never listen to a whole album of the old school stuff. I don't know why. There's a lot there's a lot I like about this song. It's it's bass driven. It's really bass driven mm-hmm. and it's got that 
they're messing with the reverb at the start, aren't they? So it sounds mm. like it sounds, it like, sounds like a train, gun, man. It's so good. It just sounds like a chainsaw cutting through it. It's for its time. It's so quicker and heavier than you'd expect. It's just it's fucking oh man. It's it's just so much head banging just going on from like that. The memory of that riff in my head right now. This this is a great opener. Yeah, it closes the album. Um, that's a good point actually <laughs> I, I I don't know what the Aerosmith version of this sounds like I know they did a cover of it but I bet it's nowhere near as good no. as, as as heavy or as engaging I mean I I could put you could put that in a remote headset from from any era exactly and it go it really was whereas a lot of this that's a banger of a tune you could yeah. mosh to that if you shoved that anywhere but yeah definitely best song on the album probably should have opened it but I can see that's why it doesn't that's a good question what is the best song on the album I mean, lots of people would say it's a toss-up between Motorhead, Train Keeps a Rolling, White Line Fever, and Iron Horse. I, mean, I like some of the other songs on it, but they are forgettable. You've <laughs> got to vote for Motorhead, really, don't you? It's because it is the song. <laughs> it's what everything about the band comes from. Yeah, it's it's summed up the intentions, and it's a good tune. You get everything you need from that name. You know instantly, like the ethos of the band you know mm-hmm. you know it's going to be fast you know, incidentally, you know the slang it's something I don't think the kids do anymore with their bands they, they don't have like statements anymore it's not like we are Motorhead we play rock and roll it's not even fucking Mega Dave when he comes out and goes like alright we've got this much time to play that's what we're going to do here we go I like I like. I respect that I don't like him but I respect that but it's just you know nowadays it's so much about like the fucking online presence and the marketing and making the video and it's just like lads tell me tell me why you're different than everyone else why I should be invested and do it in a song. A song that sums up the band is a great thing in my opinion and Motorhead do that like with every other track on this album. Bands don't do songs named after the band name enough. They don't. Nowadays. No, they don't. <laughs> no, <laughs> I can't think of another example of that outside of fucking. This bad religion. I have a song called Bad Religion. Bad yes. Religion. I get, but you have to make sure that song's good. Probably mm. every band's got it, but it's gone like now we're not putting that off. <laughs> That's terrible. true. Yeah. It's probably one of the first thing they write is anyone yeah. just dicking around in the garage. But that's an excellent point we've made to close up there. Uh, if if you were to have the 2001 CD reissue of this with remastered bonus tracks, you would also get City Kids, which is a great song. So someone's remastered. Have they remixed well, one of released. the 19 <laughs> mixes again? Apparently, yeah. Poor sod. From. Yeah, uh, 1988 would have been the first time we'd be able to get this when it was were established as like, oh, this is going to be the thing now after Overkill, which everyone was just the, you know, the selling record. And City Kids would be one of them. Um, and then the, the Beer Drinkers and Hellraising EP that we alluded to before has got Beer Drinkers and Hellraiser, ZZ Top. Uh, on parole and I'm your witch doctor which are all covers you can see why they didn't well there's an instrumental on there as well which is not a cover but it's an instrumental and I've no time for instrumentals on rock and roll albums mate it depends where they are I think they can work but I think it's gotta be in the middle of the album and it's gotta represent a bit of a change in in pace almost the the best example I can think of is Orion on puppets Mm mhm because mm. that just kind of really fits in there. But, I mean, there's enough solos and and stuff in there to keep people interested. Now, are you a guy that listens to a whole album? 